Welcome to the House of God podcast presented by the Collective Choir on Eau Claire Hometown Media. We'll share sermons to help you get to know a different Chippewa Valley church each week and to keep you up to date with the Collective Choir. I'm Shane Spencer and here's your host, Zachariah Putney. Hello, welcome back to the House of God podcast. I'm excited for this one. I love doing this podcast. This is episode nine. This week we have an exciting one. It's Jacob's Well. They're off the Melby Street exit of Business 53. Big old church over there. Their current message series is called Ends of the Earth, studying the book of Acts. The message we're featuring today is called No Small Debate about the early church in danger of being ripped apart by debate. They just launched a new JW app. We invite you to search your app store for Jacobswell Eau Claire or go to jacobswellchurch.church slash app. The app includes all of their messages, podcasts, events, ministries, and ways to connect. I enjoyed connecting with Jacobswell for this because my old friend Lowell Munns runs their tech department and I worked with him a little bit some years back. It was nice to reconnect there. Jacob's Well is directed by Pastor Paul Berthium, and he is the one giving the sermon today. So here it is, no small debate. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, this week has been a traumatic week. Uh, we have seen things on our televisions, and we've heard things that have been deeply, deeply unsettling. Things that have... Uh, just shaken us. And we just acknowledge that before you. Uh, we have been sad. We have been angry. We've been disappointed. We've been frustrated. And at some level, we're a little numb. So we turn to you right now, Lord God. And right now, in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would protect us from the mistaken folly of saying those people, those politician, that woman, that man, those folks, and instead bring us back to me, I, and us. And I would pray, Father, for a general spirit of repentance to come over our country. I would pray for each of us to begin with what is in my heart and what have I said and what have I done and what have I celebrated? What have I put my trust in, in materialism or in a government or in a solution? What have I invested my time and my intention in? How have I got swept in? What things that were slanderous have I repeated or laughed at? What things that were untrue or I weren't sure if they true did I repeat as though I were certain about them? How have I got caught up and swept in this? Father, you've given us a government that is a representational government. Our politicians represent us, and if they represent us, then we're responsible. And so I would just ask that you would bring in all of us a general spirit of repentance. I pray, Father, for a deep turning away from any kind of attitude that, that 
destroys families or tears apart communities or tears apart churches. I would pray, Father, against any kind of attitude that would give us permission to hate each other or to slander each other or to tear each other down. I would pray, Father, for a spirit of reconciliation. I would pray, Father, in your mercy for you to raise up great men and women to lead us at this time and that we, as your people, would pray for them and especially pray for them if we disagree with them. We pray for our leaders. Protect us against any that may have ill intent or are completely inconsistent with your way and your will and, and change the hearts and minds of those who are who are are inconsistent with the things you're saying, and strengthen and build up those ones who are serving you. We just ask you to have mercy on us and on our country, and just teach us, Father, to turn back to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, one of the things that struck me about this entire year and, and, and so is just how whenever one of these weeks happen where something just, wow, what the heck was that? We... Uh, pray, we talk, we say, okay, what do we need as a church need to do, say? And we haven't had to react or respond because it has just stunned me how many times, just every time, what we had planned to speak about months and even like a year before could not be more relevant and timely for the things that are going on. And, and today that is very true. I actually said that in the first service. And one of the guys after church said, so what are you preaching on next year just so I can plan a little bit? Um, we're not doing lamentations or anything like that or minor prophets or anything like that. Um, but we're in a series. We're talking about being the ends of the earth. And we're, we're, we're studying through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really about what it means to be the church, what it means to be about a people. And I hope you're beginning to see that the book of Acts, in spite of our attempts to sanitize and make it look peaceful and calm, was actually a book about people going through great upheaval in uncertain times, and how we manage change. I mean, different people have a different relationship to change. Some people are all for change. They like change. They, they just soon things were changing all the time. In fact, some of you so like change that you don't finish the thing you were doing before you change it. You might be with someone like that, but don't look at them right now because you're not the Holy Spirit. But you want to look at them. Don't. But some people hate change. I mean, you've been doing the same thing, same breakfast, same routine over and over again, and you don't like change. And, and, and so change is unsettling. It makes you feel like you're losing control. It makes you feel, you know, uh, 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 nervous. And, and so when we're in times of big change where there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of uncertainty, how are we going to respond? How are we going to be the people of God? Well, in this series, uh, The Ends of the Earth, we've been talking about how the, the story of the book of Acts continues with us and that the church was always the church through all the changes that have come through history and that we have to decide how we're going to. Now, the passage we're going to look at today is a passage of Scripture um, that is such an important passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. It's one that very often people read through quickly. They don't really pay attention. It just seems kind of like a detail. But I actually think it is the heart of of the book of Acts. It's actually what we've been talking about going all the way back to the book of Luke, all the way actually starting about this time last year when we were talking about the other and God's desire to include and his desire to bring the message to the, the, every corner and every life and, and this message of love and this message of inclusion and, and, and how the book of Acts has been setting up everything we've been looking at so far in the book of Acts, been setting up 
for the conversation that happens in the passage of Scripture. Because this passage of Scripture is about what happens um, when the church has a debate. And so this passage talks about no small debate. Now let me, let me tell you what the debate is. So if you've been around Jacob's Well uh, for, for teaching reaction, you know we've been talking about this. It's, it's, it's exactly who do we have to include? Who should we include in the people of God? Who should we include in the people we love, the people we accept, the people we give freedom to? Who should be included in God's church? And, and the second, second question is, what should they have to change to be included? Now, I'm going to say something radical, but, but it, it could not be more true. And it's at the heart of this thing we call the gospel. You don't have to change anything to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I encourage you not to try to change anything to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you don't change to come to God. You change because you've come to God. Changing to come to God is your external effort to be okay with God and to look acceptable for the God crowd. Right? But when you recognize you can't make any changes and you come to God with brokenness and abandon, something happens inside out and then changes come because you've changed. And so there's no saying, fishermen have, you don't catch a fish before you clean, you can't clean the fish before you catch it. But churches try to do this all the time. We say, okay, you can come to church, but you need to quit this, you need to stop this. You know, the, the old Baptists used to say, we don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do. You know, that kind of thing. All the rules, whatever it is, you can't be this, you can't be that. And this has been a horrifying season for us to do that politically. I mean, if you don't care about this agenda, if you stand for this politician, if you did this, if you believe this, well then, I don't know that I can go to church with you. I have never had, and I, I can't tell you how many people have contacted me and said, Pastor Paul, I'm really struggling because this whole thing, with this election, and all these, and this thing, and all the rights, and all this, I just don't know if I can go to church with those people. People have said that to me. And I take a step back and I say to him, what do you mean those people? You mean your brothers and sisters in Christ? You mean the people Jesus died for? And I've had so many people, i got to go home for this holiday, and I don't know because my family's this, and I just, don't know, I just don't know how I can be with those people. And how many of us are letting these things tear us apart? No small debate. And so the debate of the church in Acts was this. Do we have to include non-Jews? Do we have to include the Gentiles? Because you've been, as we've been studying the book of Acts, we know that the original church was made up of Jews from Jerusalem almost exclusively. And then there were some Jews from outlying districts, and that was, okay, we can accept them. And then there were the Samaritans. Wow, okay, Samaritans are kind of half-Jewish. I guess they can come in. And then there were these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who converted to Judaism I guess we can take them too. But now, in the second part of the book of Acts, all of a sudden, churches are being born that are Gentile churches. And these are churches that don't eat the right food. They don't dress the right way. They do some really nasty stuff. They haven't got all cleaned up yet. And, and they don't know the rules. And we got to make some rules before we can let them come to be the church. And, and what we, we see is that the entire book of Acts has been setting us up from it. It goes all, setting us up for it. It goes all the way back to that first conflict in the church where there were some Grecian Jews, some, some non-Judean Jews who were not being treated fairly. And that was the first controversy. And then the Samaritans had to be included. And this guy Peter had to have a special vision so that he would see that God was going to include the Gentiles. And then Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, he becomes uh, 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 the great 
the apostle of the Gentiles. And last week we looked at how God set he and Barnabas apart. And they were sent on these missionary journeys. And on these missionary journeys, they started these churches. And they were Gentile churches. They were Gentiles made up with different people and different languages and different cultures. And now the church is saying, what are we supposed to do with that? And it became a debate. Let's go ahead and see what the scriptures say about it. It said this, and, and Paul and Barnabas are in the church of Antioch, and it said, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is kind of how it played out. They're all having a fellowship meal together, and these new Gentiles are learning how to eat with these new Jews, and that was going to be a, a good thing and a hard thing because, oh, Gentiles are eating pork. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? All right, got to accept it, got to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, these, these guys from Jerusalem came down, and they sit down, and they say, listen, uh, we just need to let you know that all you Gentiles uh, who came and just accepted Jesus because he loved you, there's another thing. You got to get circumcised. They go, what, what, pardon, what? And, and, and we're going to see, they're going to double down more of that. They're going to say, you actually have to become like us. You have to become Jewish before you can become Christian. You have to, in order to get God's salvation, get his, get his forgiveness. We're going to try to control that. We're going to kind of merit it out, meet it out. It's going to have to come through us. And you can't get it unless you follow our rules, unless you clean up in our ways. And this was the debate. And look what happened. It said, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, no small, we just had some, a week we said we had some no small dissension and debate, right? It's encouraging to know that this kind of thing has gone on before. And the church has weathered it. And the people of God have weathered it. And people of goodwill rise to the top in, in, in just praying for that. Uh, it says there's no dissension. It says Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, okay, well, let's get everybody together. And so they traveled up. And on the way, they visited churches. And they just became inflamed with this passion that, yes, God has accepted the Gentiles. He has accepted everyone. By the way, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So, so this is about including me and including most of you. This is about you being on the outside. Now you're on the inside. That's what makes it so stunningly horrifying when Christians keep people on the outside. Because of some artificial, worldly, temporary thing that we say, oh, you got to have this, or you just can't be in the club. You can't be part of me. You can't be here. Because, because you just can't. You just can't. Well, let's see what, how it plays out. It said, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now, isn't it interesting? They had parties too. Now, I'm not talking about woohoo party. I'm talking about political parties. They had Pharisees who tended to be the more conservatives, who looked back and said, yeah, the answers are in the past. We've got to protect the past. And then you had the Sadducees. They actually tended to be more liberal. They had to tend to be able to, we've got to change. Change is the future. We've got to have change. And then they had this other party called the Zealots. You know what the Zealots were? The Zealots were the people so certain about their position, they would do physical violence to push forward their agenda. I'm so glad we don't have that anymore. And then there was this other group called the Essenes. You know what the Essenes were? They said, y'all a mess. We're going to the desert, and we're just going to separate from all you horrible, sinful people. We're going to just, it's me and you, and I'm not sure about you, but it's me and you, you know, and we're going to go off into the desert. See, they approached it the same way we did. And all of these, these parties, now, now some of the Pharisees, some of the conservatives, some of the old guards, the people who tended to look back. And listen, if you're a person, I love history. I love to look back. I think there's a lot of wisdom in looking back. 
You, you, you hear my preaching. You understand. I think, I think you know how to go forward by looking back, but you also need to go forward. But, but here's the deal. If you don't understand about yourself that you're the kind of person who doesn't like change, you, you won't understand that you're vulnerable to following into the conservative trap of the Pharisees. You see? And so the Pharisees said, said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order, to order, to order them. To order them to keep the law of Moses. So they got to eat the right things. They got to dress the right way. They got to keep the right festival dates. They got to learn it. They got to obey it. They got to quit hanging around with people who don't. And so they got to fix everything in their life. Then we'll talk about it. We got a process here because, and understand, these Pharisees would have been people who would have been passionate about it. They would have had the scrolls of Moses and they would have said, Look at the Bible. The, the Old Testament says circumcision. And he told everybody and he ordered and he commanded it. How can we say? And, and he said, We're supposed to separate from them. And how can you understand? And, 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 and they, you know what they probably would have done? They said, And don't you understand? We're not doing this for ourselves, we're doing it for the children. We're doing it for the children. You know, there's been more evil done in the name of children. More, more. It's not about me and my fears and my loss of control. I'm doing it for future generations. This is not about me. Okay? It's not about my desire for power and control, and I'm not managing my fears, and I haven't got any self-awareness, and I'm not understanding how swept up in this I'm, I am, and all the conspiracy craziness that I'm grabbing hold of and I'm believing. I'm, I'm not aware of any of that. It's for the children. And, and they would find reasons they were certain of to say we cannot include those people. You don't understand. Unless they become like us, unless they think like us, there's no room for them. Look what happens. It said the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, talked about it deeply and, and, and thoroughly and honestly, it says this. They looked to three sources. The first one was the choice of Peter. That is to say Peter. So you remember Peter, Peter who lived with Jesus, talked with Jesus. Peter who just had, you know, all kinds of authority because he was there. He was the one. He knew the stuff. He was the guy with all the credibility. This is what Peter said. So Peter said, stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made the choice among you that by many mouths the Gentiles should hear the words of the gospel and believe. So Peter said, listen, gang, this is what God's been up to. His desire was that the the Gentiles would hear through many, many different sources. Look what he says. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And so this is Peter saying, and if you want to read this, you can just go a couple back chapters back in the book of Acts. He said, listen, I was on your side, Pharisee crowd. He said, I understood. I, I, I didn't touch. I understand the separations were deep. I didn't touch Gentiles. I didn't go in their house. I didn't eat their food. I didn't learn about them. didn't want to know about them. didn't like them. didn't want to like them. And then I was on the roof one day, and the story's in the book of Acts. And I was sitting there, and there was a vision. This big sheet came down. We did a whole sermon on it. You should go back and listen to that sermon. A whole sheet came down, and, and it was full of food that they weren't supposed to eat, animals weren't supposed to eat. And so it was a vision about animals and food, but it wasn't about animals or food. It was about people. Because the big message of that vision was, don't call something unclean, God says, that I've called clean. Don't say they can't be included if I say they can be included. Don't say they have to live up to all your standards because I haven't made that my standard. Don't, don't, don't set a rule that people have to have it all together before you love them or you give them a chance or you, 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 you empower them or, or you value them. Don't make anyone other. Don't fill your heart with contempt 
or anger that is inconsistent with the gospel. And understand, this vision came for Peter not once. It said it came twice, and then it came three times. It's like God saying, listen, listen, listen. Pay attention. This is my heart. This is my plan. This is what I'm all about. And you know the story, how Peter was on the roof, then all of a sudden some Gentiles are at the door, and he goes to the home of the Gentile, and now he's in the house of the Gentile, probably for the first time, and, and he's preaching the gospel, and he was blown away. Why? Well, because just like he said, the Holy Spirit came on these Gentiles. So just like the Holy Spirit came to us Jews on the day of Pentecost, he came to the Gentiles. He said, how can you argue with that? He says, God is doing a new thing, and it's a big change, and we're all reeling here, and it's unsettling, but this is what God is doing. And one thing certain, as much as we think, say things are not going to change. Things change. Life changes. And we have to understand what it looks like to be a person who is a non-anxious presence in the midst of that change. And, and understand that, that, that God will work in ways that will surprise us. Look what it says in verse 9. And he said he made no distinction. We make all kinds of distinction. We put people in groups and we cluster them and, and, and we do it for the silliest reasons. Um, between us, uh, it's no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. It says he's changing them from the inside out. You know, their lives didn't get completely together, and then they came to God. Their hearts got changed, and now we're seeing God do amazing things. And, and that's what Peter said. It says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on their necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Since you're asking them to do stuff we couldn't even live up to. You tell them to follow rules, you don't even really follow. You certainly don't in your heart. You might fake it for a while and put on a show, you know, technically follow a rule, but in your heart it's far away. He said, why would you strap that old thing of religion on them? He says, we can't do that. The, the hypocrisy and all the, the things that drive people from God says you need to go away. He said, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So it won't be keeping the law. It won't be following the rule. We need a lot more grace. You know what grace is? Grace is God giving us what we need, not what we deserve. The sermon will resume after a testimony from the collective choir. I was 14, and I was at a summer camp up north. And at this point in my life, I had already trusted that Jesus was the one sent from heaven. We were brought out the whole camp to a field uh, and there was a cross at the front of the field and we were all sitting down and they went through an exercise that they handed everybody a stone and had people come around during a uh, time in the gathering and cast their stone at the foot of the cross which represented the sin that we had that we were symbolizing receiving God's forgiveness. And as I came up in the line, I remember all of a sudden my life flashing before me, the 14 years, um, all of my ambitions and all of the girls that I was interested in um, uh, dating or um, all of the plans that I had for my own uh, entertainment and perhaps as a career. And I remember distinctly the Lord, what, what I learned to be the Holy Spirit, showing me that this was um, what he was asking. He was asking not, not just that I would acknowledge the forgiveness of sins, but that I would really surrender 
my whole life, all of my ambitions, all my hopes and plans, over to him. What I what I saw right there was that that the Lord wanted not just to be a part of my life, the Lord wanted my life. And and so I didn't drop the rock. <laughs> Because I didn't want to take so callous of a decision on the matter. And I remember going back and just eating at me, um, weighing in, uh, will God actually provide the same pleasure that I would have if I just went about seeking my own pleasure? Uh, Would he bring about the same fulfillment uh, in my life as I would have had if I... Uh, sought my own fulfillment and so I remember at night (laughs) um, it was probably towards sundown dusk I remember sneaking back out to the field and just kneeling before that cross and and saying to God Lord I I trust my well-being into your hands. And I remember at that point throwing that rock down and deciding to allow Jesus to inform and take over every part of my life. And it's been a process ever since (laughs) surrendering that. What I have found is more joy than I ever had when I was seeking it for myself. More peace, uh, more fulfillment than ever I had when I was pursuing my own interests. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. I believed that. And I believe it for anybody. That was Michael Rambo. He's our musical director in the Collective Choir. You may have heard of him from the Michael Rambo Project or Shillelagh Lads or Mars. He's done a lot of music in the area. And we're lucky to have him in the Collective Choir now. We will return you to Pastor Paul Berthium's sermon from Jacob's Well, called No Small Debate. We're all concerned about giving people what they deserve, those people. They did this, and them, and they, and they started, and they did, and me, and it's horrible. We feel our souls shriveling into just like a, a, a tiny little raisin. We, we feel our, our goodness melting away. We feel anxiety. Our stomachs churn. That's what happens when you make it about them and those. When you take a step back and do the, the hard, painful work of saying, God, what about me? and change my heart, and change my life, we we feel our heart and our soul growing. And it's becoming more of a human being, becoming more like Christ. We become agents of love and mercy and caring. We put our our heavenly citizenship above our earthly citizenship. The next thing they do is they turn to Paul and Barnabas and say, well, Paul and Barnabas, what do you have to say about this? And they talk about, well, let's talk about the experience that we've had. 
He said, And now the assembled fell silent as they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done to them among the Gentiles. And so basically they just talked about the first missionary journey. Said it was crazy. Went to this city, went to the synagogue. God just did all kinds of stuff. People got saved. People got healed. It was the most amazing thing. I went to this other city. And now I should tell you, it's not just that there's a church in Antioch. There's like 20 other places there's churches. God's working. It's as if Paul and Barnabas are saying, you should just know that it's not like God's asking our permission to do this. God is actually at work. So we probably shouldn't get in his way. We probably shouldn't hinder him. We probably shouldn't hinder people coming to God. And, and they listened as Paul related the signs and wonders and the amazing things that happened. And then they turned to this other guy by the name of James. Now, who's James? James was leader of the church in Jerusalem, probably the, the main leader there. Uh, uh, some people believe he was the half-brother of Jesus through the natural union of Joseph and Mary. So Jesus' little brother, okay? And, and so here's a third person. What he does, he does a Bible study. As he comes back, he says, After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God visited the Gentiles to take them from the people in his name. So Simon recognized that there's a new revelation coming. Something different's happening. Okay? And, and Paul and Barnabas have, have laid evidence that God is working in places we didn't think God was going to be working, but he's God. He gets to do what he wants. He's in charge, actually. Okay? It's a good thing. He said, now let me tell you how we've taken a fresh look at the Scriptures. And with the works of the prophets there, we agree. He said, we went back and we looked at the prophets. And what we found is, just as it is written. So that is, looking at the Old Testament, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will build the ruins as I will restore it. So he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He goes back and said, remember that place where Isaiah says, the Messiah is going to come and the tent of David has fallen. It just looks like the kingship is done and the nation is done. He said, I'm going to put that tent back up. But here's the thing you need to understand about that tent. He says, extend the stakes, add fabric, make it bigger, stretch it out. Because we're going to need a whole lot more room. Because this is what the prophecy goes on to say. That the remembrance of mankind, not just the Jews, but mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. He said, God has been including the Gentiles, and if you do a, a fresh study of the Scriptures, as they did throughout the book of Acts, you'll see that this was always God's plan. See, God didn't call the Jewish people just to be a separate people, just exclusive, and the rest of the world be damned, and whatever. God included the Gentiles uh, God included the Gentiles for the Jews. They were meant to be a light to the nation. And verse after verse after verse, going all the way back to Abraham, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, going through David and the prophets, especially in Isaiah and the minor prophets, the message is Messiah comes. He's not going to be king of the Jews. He's going to be king of the world. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to usher in, usher in, a new era. And so James says this. He says, therefore, my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. He says, let's not strap a lot of religion on them. Let's not strap a lot of rules on them. Let's not crush them under the weight of our opinions. Okay? Let's not try to control them. Let's not try to order them. Let's trust the Holy Spirit that has changed us to change them. Okay? All right. Let me put up their, their right hand. I hereby resign as the Holy Spirit. You all do it at home too, okay? I, you're not even his assistant, okay? You're not even assistant to the Holy Spirit, okay? You're not any of that. And some of us think that's our job. Holy Spirit's not doing a good job. I need to start pointing out these faults. 
And he said, you're going to be at church. You need to do this. You need to get it together. You need to do this. Instead of coming back and saying, you know what you need to do? You need to embrace the love of God. You know, you need to point people to Jesus because until they find Jesus, they can't really make the changes anyway because they're doing it in their own strength. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. So when people who are not Christians act like people who are not Christians, we shouldn't be surprised because they're just in step with, with not having Jesus. The answer is, how can we love them and show them the incredible love of Jesus? He goes on. He says this, but we should write to them to do three things. So he said, we're going to write them a letter. We're going to send ambassadors to them. We're going to say three things. First thing is, is, is they should abstain. That is to say, just get some stuff out of your life. This will bless you. You got to figure out how you're going to get out. First thing, things polluted by idols. Said, you Gentiles are all about idols. You got all these other gods. You got meat by idols. You got practices. Just don't have one foot in the Christian world and one foot in, you know, this world. Go all in with Jesus. Abstain from idols. We got a lot of idols right now. Some of us have made an idol out of government. I love our country. I'm grateful. Our response needs to be stewardship and gratitude. But I'm citizen of a greater country. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I don't put my hope in our country. I'm grateful for it. I work for it. I want it to prosper. I pray for it. But it's temporary. My eternal home is in the kingdom of God. And so how I act is not based on the principle of being an American. It's based on the principle of the follow of Jesus. And Jesus' principles are things like, oh, I don't know, forgive, turn the other cheek, start with the big old log in your eye before you start putting everybody else's speck. Talk about truth. Don't slander, don't gossip, don't attack, don't tear down. Stay calm in the midst of the storm. So Jesus was sleeping through all kinds of storms. See, this is Jesus' way. This is kingdom principle. And, and so, so tear down the idols in your life. Second thing he says is avoid sexual morality. The Gentiles in the Roman world was just sick with sexual craziness, and, and we're sick with sexual craziness, right? He said, just get out of your life. It's ruining you. It's tearing you down. It's a horrible thing. He says, that, that, that's something. And then this third one, what, what's this all about? And, 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 and abstain from things that were strangled with blood. And, and this is what I believe is going on here. It's, it's the guys in, in Jerusalem saying, look, all right, you got Jews in your church. You got Gentiles in your church. For Jews, the idea of eating blood and eating an animal that hasn't been drained of blood and going through, that is, that is a deal breaker for a lot of people. They just go, it grosses them out. It freaks them out. If you would just set that aside, well, what would end up happening is you would create a bridge. They're basically asking the Gentiles to meet us halfway. Okay, We're not asking you to eat kosher. We're not asking you to follow all the rules. But, but just compromise a little bit. Just saying, well, this is all right, and we can do this or whatever, or all that kind of stuff. Instead, meet us halfway. And what you have is you have a reasonable response, and, and that's what they're being asked to. Um, he goes on to say, From ancient generations, Moses has been preached in every city and those who proclaimed him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. He says, because here's the deal. Everybody knows that Moses has been preached, and everybody knows Jews don't, don't eat this kind of food, and so they'll understand that. And if they would just restrict themselves, so we're going to have the Jewish family open, probably not pork and shellfish, you know, do something different. Okay? And so create a pathway for everybody. Okay? And then the council sent a letter. And we don't have time to read the letter, but what I want to encourage you to do is follow the reading plan that we have through Acts as your devotions this week. And especially we're praying for different community um, church uh, and, and, and ministries in town that partner with us in sharing the gospel. But you'll read this letter. And basically the, the, the letter will just repeat what they said. 
He said, we don't want to put any restrictions on you. We just ask you to abstain from these three things. And look at how it was received. Because what, what they gave was freedom. We should be giving people freedom. We should not try to control people. Control their thoughts. Control their actions. You say, well, who's going to make them do the right thing? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's his job. It's his job, not ours. So the joy and acceptance and freedom... And so when they were settled off, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And so when we give freedom, we give acceptance, it encourages, it creates joy in the most profound way. Now, now, this was one of the most important watershed moments in the history of the church because the church all of a sudden becomes a church that is open to everybody. It's no longer a church of Jews or Gentiles. It's a church of people. It's, it's the people of God, every race, every color, every ethnicity, and, and, and there's going to be different expressions. There's going to be different understandings, even denominations. People will lament, how come there has to be so many denominations? Because there are different people who look at things in different ways. That doesn't mean we can't love each other. It doesn't even mean we can't work together at times and, and do awesome things together and not judge each other with some humility and learn from each other. I mean, that's the perspective of the Council of Jerusalem. Now, I wish I could say at this point, whoo, it was settled, it all settled down. But, but after this council, you just know there was some in the Pharisee group sitting in the back saying, whatever, I won't accept it. We know this because later, when Paul goes on his other missionary journeys, this other party, this other movement, this other fringe movement started called the Judaizers, and they would go ahead of Paul and cause troubles in the synagogues before he went there. And he would follow them to cities, and they would muck up things. And they caused riots. They got him beat up. They, they almost got him killed multiple times. Ultimately, they got him arrested. These people who were so certain that they had to protect what was theirs, that they did the most horrible things in the name of whatever justification they came. And so, so this is a check for us, right? For us as Christians, as brothers and sisters. And listen, this is true whether you're fringing out to the right or you're fringing out to the left. Oh, please let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Okay? It's time for you in humility to take a step back and saying, what have I been doing that's inconsistent with the, the kingdom of God? What have I been saying? How have I been acting? Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And ask, is that what I've been like? Read the moral teachings of Paul. Read the Ten Commandments and just ask, have I been acting like that? And, and just do an inventory of your heart. Have I been letting anger and bitterness and contempt just, just, just make me small? Have I given myself permission to hate them or to blame them or that person or that guy or that woman or whatever it is where we have, we have given ourselves permission to, to do that? Listen, you're doing violence to your soul, to your spiritual well-being. And for those of you who are doing it in the name of the kids, you're scaring the kids, okay? Stop it. And, and, and in addition to that, you're teaching the kids the worst kinds of lessons. You're teaching them fear and ignorance and, and anger and attacking. Wouldn't it be awesome if we taught our thing, kids things like love and understanding and tolerance and listening? The Bible says this. Everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. For a person's anger does not lead to the righteous life that God requires. Just memorize that and hold it up. To, and turn off the radio, the car. Turn off the news, for goodness. They're, they're, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to stop. All right, just, just, we can do better, folks. We must be better. We must be the church of Jesus Christ. 
the non-anxious president of the world because we have a greater citizenship waiting for us. This quote was sent to me by one of our overseers this week. It's from C.S. Lewis, something he wrote. C.S. Lewis understood, fought in the war in Britain. He was a very patriotic guy, believed in his country, but this is what he wrote. He said this, he said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. This is not our true country. This is not our true home. C.S. Lewis called it Shadowlands. There's a greater reality waiting for me. I must keep alive in myself a desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on towards that other country and to help others do the same thing. Like I say, I just couldn't imagine a passage of Scripture that could be more appropriate. Now, another thing that is stunning to me is that this Sunday we planned communion. And what communion is all about is remembering Jesus. And more than anything else right now, we need to remember Jesus. Remember what he said, how he lived, what he taught, what his example was. I just can't imagine Jesus acting the way we've been acting lately. And so what I want to encourage you to do, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open your top and take out your bread. Now, for those of you who are listening online, you may not be ready to receive communion. You may not have bread and stuff ready. I just ask you to close your eyes and receive it with us spiritually. So, because it's not important to have the actual elements, because we don't believe anything supernatural happens to the elements. We believe something supernatural happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And we believe something powerful happens when we let it renew our faith in our own hearts. And so as we hold the bread in our hands, just let's reflect on this bread. What does it say to us? What are we supposed to remember? We're supposed to remember that God became man. He became flesh. Just as this bread is physical, he became physical. And he stepped into our world, and he, he taught us a different way to live and a different way to love. He, he, he taught us things, and he showed us a different way. He brought forgiveness. Some of you need to forgive family members who... who who've said things, who've done things. Some of you need to forgive other Christians who have, have, have gotten extreme and, and, and you're just wondering how you can keep loving them. Some of you need to forgive yourself because you got caught up in this. But this is a message of forgiveness. It represents Jesus' body, which was nailed to a cross for our sins that we could have forgiveness. And when we take this, we do this in remembrance in Christ. And so Jesus said to his disciples, I give you this bread. He said, when you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then as we open our cups, we recognize that this cup symbolizes so many beautiful things. It symbolizes the blood of Christ that was poured out because his blood was poured out, his life was poured out so that we might live. Jesus called this the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant. A covenant is a relationship, so this cup is about relationships. It's about the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ and his spilt blood. It's about the relationships we have with one another. The Bible warns we can take this cup in an unworthy manner when we have unforgiveness or pride or contempt or we've been using people or hurting people. And so we take a moment just to ask God to ask, to, to search our hearts and ask, what kind of attitude have I had towards other people in my heart? And as I take this cup, is it in line with you? And we need to ask God, God, will you get my heart right towards towards whoever, whatever, those people, that person, and just, just resolve to take a step towards loving like Christ. And so on the night before Jesus died, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the everlasting covenant in my blood. He said, when you take this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together.
And then Jesus prayed. Let us pray. Father God, I pray again, bring us into a spirit of repentance. Repentance is a changing of mind that leads to a changing of heart, that leads to a change in action. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you free us from the fear and any hatred, any despair. I pray, Father God, that you speak even into the numbness that we're feeling and you cause us once again to believe in hope. You've been faithful to the church in Jerusalem and through the church after age after age and you have done great things and you've even taken very dark times and turned them into beautiful times and we just believe you can do that again and we pray that end. But start in our own hearts and our own minds. Help us, Father, to trust you with a radical trust. Tear down the idols in our life, whether it be materialism or a person or, or maybe the past or change in the future can become an idol. Instead, help us just to see you as the center of our life so that you establish what you want to establish, you change what you want to change, for you are God. We would pray, Father God, that you would teach us to love one another, remove all bitterness and divisiveness and slander, backbiting, foolish talk, and all those things that have nothing to do with us. Teach us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Help us, Father, to be a non-anxious presence, a person of peace in a time of such conflict. And, oh God, we would pray for our country. We would pray, Father, that you would bring peace that your people could live in peace, that we could peacefully share the message of Christ throughout the world, that the gospel could advance. We would pray, Father, that you would raise up men and women who would lead us well. We would pray for those who were just elected. We pray for President-elect Biden. We ask that you would prosper him and help him to do well. Those things that are not in line with your heart, we pray you would line them up with your heart. We say thank you for President Trump, and we ask you to bless him. And those things that are not in line with your heart, we would pray you would line them up with your heart. We pray for our senators, our congressmen, our leaders, our, our government employees, our police officers, our militaries, these people who are charged with working for the common good. Bless them. We pray that you will undermine any forces of evil that are trying to undermine us and trying to hurt our country and their schemes. We're not unaware of them, but we are also, Father, in a radical trust with you. We see that darkness is working, but we believe in Jesus' name you are working. And you will frustrate those plans. We pray with the psalmist. May the pit that they have dug for our destruction be the pit they fall in themselves. And our trust is not in our ability to dig new pits or fight with their weapons or outsmart the darkness. Our trust is in you. And so we pray for our country. We ask for mercy. We don't deserve it. We ask for mercy because you're merciful. Lord God, help us as your people to turn to you, for we need you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. And thank you to the Jacob's Well team for joining our show this week. Please check out jacobswellchurch.church slash app or search Jacob's Well Eau Claire in your app store to include their new app on your phone or whatever app-type device you've got. Come sing with us Monday nights, 6 o'clock to 7.30 at Valley Brook Church, downtown Eau Claire. We've had some beautiful new faces join us lately. Maybe one of them would be yours. Thanks for listening, your lovely audience. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the House of God podcast, presented by the Collective Choir on Eau Claire Hometown Media. To find out more about the Collective Choir or the church you heard about in this podcast, please follow us on Facebook, 
or visit www.collectivechoir.org.